Uh, let's pray and ask that God would help us understand this part of his word this morning and that through that work uh, that we might be changed. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, the, for your goodness, uh, for your love and your faithfulness and your consistency. Father, we thank you for this precious word and I ask that this morning by your Holy Spirit, you'd open our ears, soften our hearts and change us, Father, so that we might live in ways that are pleasing to you. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, it's, uh, it's great to have this opportunity to talk together uh, at the start of uh, Father's Day celebrations. I'm sure they're going to kick on. Uh, I wanted to start by thinking just uh, briefly what it is that pleases Dad. What, what pleases uh, your dad, maybe? What, what are the things that please dads? Um, and so I was thinking about this. Um, this is not me, but um, some dads are into fishing. Uh, are there any dads here into fishing? I see a hand. Very good. Another one. Excellent. One down, but someone's nudging, so it probably is you. Okay, that's good. So uh, into fishing. Um, I've never really understood fishing. Uh, sit around, wait for it to happen. And then when it actually does happen, this happens. And that's, that's even worse. So now I have a slimy, wet thing in my hand. What do I do with it? I, I don't understand. But anyway, for those of you who love it, great. So I was going to do what are the things that dads love. And then I thought, well, I don't know what dads love. So I'm going to talk about what I love. Um, what I love um, is going for a ride on my bike. And if I can combine that with my family, that's kind of, that's the, that's as good as it gets. Uh, and it's very exciting now that my little boy, although in that photo, he's on his trainer wheels. Uh, he's off them. And uh, in fact, the day he came off his trainer wheels, we went for a seven-kilometre ride. He's absolutely amazing. Uh, he, he said at the end he was a little bit tired, and we felt quite empathetic about that, uh, which was good. So that's something I like. And then I was thinking about my dad, and I was thinking, what's something my dad loves? Well, my dad has always loved um, planes of any kind. And uh, here's a picture of him uh, throwing a glider. Pretty much any time uh, the kids go across to my parents' place, um, my dad will have a glider for the kids. I'm like, Dad, you now have legitimated your love for <laughs> all things balsa and flying. And uh, every time he goes over, they go over, he's bought another one for them. I, I often wonder how much uh, exercise they get when the kids aren't around. But anyway, uh, that's one of the things my dad likes. The other thing my dad loves um, is just hanging out together. And so my dad and I went to see uh, the rugby the other day, uh, which was a, a cause of great sadness, but joy, uh, because we were hanging out, uh, hanging out together. So dads, it, it's good to know what pleases them. And if you can find out what pleases them, you can hang out and, and do those sort of things together. Today, I think that's great, incidentally, and hopefully uh, at lunchtime today or this morning, were any dads woken up with their favourite breakfast? Does that still happen? Oh, uh, yes, yes. Alan, well done. Um, I, I was up before my family, so that, that didn't happen for me, but that, that wasn't for lack of trying. Is that right, Caro? Yeah, good, okay. Uh, what I want to do is lift our vision a little bit higher uh, this morning and think not just what pleases my dad, but actually what pleases God, our Father. Not just what pleases my dad, but what pleases God, our Father. And so that's really the main thrust of what we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, now, one of the things I, I love when, uh, when we're on, uh, on holidays uh, is to go walking on the beach. Not a huge swimmer, but I like walking on the beach. It's great. Uh, absolutely love it. And one of the things that is absolutely delightful uh, when you run along the beach or walk along the beach is, um, is watching your kids after you've walked along the beach, you know this experience? You walk along like this in your own kind of stride, and then you've got these little people who are doing this, you know? 
trying to step, you know, step in all your footsteps as they kind of go on. They're trying to follow you. They're trying to walk in your steps, walk like you. And uh, I think that's absolutely beautiful. And interestingly enough, it's actually a great way into the first part of our reading today. If you can open up your Bibles, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, I'm going to be working through uh, that chapter today. It's on page 1176, uh, if you've got the Bibles that are this size. And someone who's got the larger Bibles can remind me. What's the page number there? 1780. Is that right? Fantastic. So let me read this to you. Uh, Paul's writing here in a letter to the church in Ephesus. Uh, the people in Ephesus are called Ephesians. That's why the book is called this. Uh, it says in Ephesians 5.1, it says this, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is fantastic. How are we to approach the living God of the universe? The one who's in charge of all things. The one who sustains everything. How are we to approach him? Well, have a look at what it says there. It says, follow God's example, therefore, as what? Dearly loved children. How are we to approach the living God as Father? How are we to approach Him ourselves as children? Now, at one level, it's a bit duh. Of course, that's what happens. But there are all sorts of potential ways we could approach God. We could put in a pink form and wait until He gets through administration and it gets up to His higher level on the top story and then He could send a delegate to talk to us if our... Do you know what I mean? But no, he doesn't say that. He says, I'm your father, you're my children. And then he says, follow the way of love. Follow God's example. In other words, step those long steps in his footprints. Yeah? And what is the way of love that he's laid out for us? Well, it's found here. It's found here in the cross. And that's a nice cross. We, We probably should ugly it up a little bit. I don't know if you've heard this week that uh, apparently Mel Gibson is planning to make a sequel to uh, The Passion of the Christ. Did you catch up with this? Guess what he's going to do it on? It's not going to be called The Passion of the Christ 2. It's actually going to be called The Resurrection. Now, I'd be quite interested in seeing him spend some time talking about the resurrection because at the end of The Passion, if you saw it, it was a bloody disaster, wasn't it? I mean, I'm using that in blood. It was a horrible thing, wasn't it? So the crucifixion is horrible, the resurrection is the victory. And we only got about three seconds of that, I think, at the end of the Passion of the Christ. At any rate, what's the way of love that our God wants us to walk in? Well, follow the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Do you want to know what example to follow? Do you want to know what footsteps to step in? The one who gave his life for us. That's a pretty good example. Follow, walk in this way of love. Well, that's the start here. He continues to flesh out how it is that we're supposed to live in a way that's pleasing to God. Now, in order to make sense of this next bit, we need to do, uh, engage in a little way with this word idolatry. Now, when I think of uh, an idol... I think of maybe a place uh, like Singapore where I went, where you can see uh, a Hindu temple here, um, or in India, where there really are figures. There are actual idols, literal images of gods that are up around the place. And I think when we think of idolatry, we, we might think of bowing down before a statue. 
But this morning, as we think about this concept of idolatry, I actually want to think about it a little bit differently. I want us to consider the throne of our heart. And you might think, uh, particularly if uh, you're one of our Chesalonian residents, you might say, I've had a, uh, an X-ray or an MRI on my heart, a cardiogram. No one, no one revealed that there was a chair in there. There's no tiny chairs inside my chest. So what are we talking about? The thing that has highest importance in our hearts. There is a space in our life where we lift up something to be more important than everything else. A throne, a, it's a word picture, for the most important thing in our hearts. And whatever it is that's on that throne in our hearts that is not the living God is an idol. Whatever's first with our time, with our money, with our talents, whatever's first, whatever's occupying the most of that, that is our idol. Have a listen to uh, the way that word comes here in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 3 to 7. But among you, he says, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's whole. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath is coming on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. So what's it saying? It's saying something quite challenging here. Uh, and uh, if you're just joining us for this part of the, um, of the series, you might think, oh great, I'm in church and all we're talking about is God's wrath. We've been talking about some amazing, glorious, beautiful things over the weeks preceding, but God's wrath is part of the story. And so here it is in our reading today. So what are the four things he tells us to watch out for that can be an issue for us? Immorality, impurity, greed, and coarse joking. And he says these can be idols in our hearts. I think the most obvious question that we can ask is, how? How can these things actually be idols? Well, I, I was doing a bit of thinking about this through the week, and I was trying to think, immorality, what, what does that look like? Sexual immorality, how is that an idol? Well, I think it's the pursuit of passion out of place with God's purpose. So we say, I'm going to put passion first in my heart. My lusts, my desires are going to trump whatever it is that God might say. I'm going to put those things first. What about impurity? Well, I think it's degrading things instead of honouring things. So it's taking things that God's made holy, that if we have him on the throne, we'll treat with respect. And instead, because impurity is there before him, we degrade and dishonour things that are beautiful, pure and right. Impurity, the degrading instead of honouring. What about greed? I mean, and this is the one where we kind of hope there's nothing too much to say about, isn't there? Because I think this is the one, irrespective of whether we're male or female, this is the one that will challenge us the most. So how can greed really be idolatry? Well, I think it's an appetite for self before an appreciation of what we've got. Who's on the throne in my heart? Me. How do I know that it's greed? Well, I'm not thinking of you, I'm thinking of me. And when I'm thinking of me, I don't have enough. 
my dad, it's Father's Day. My, my dad, he, he's got, a, a, got a, a, a sailing boat and he, he talks about what he calls five-foot syndrome. He said, whatever length of boat you have, there's always one that's five foot bigger. And you're never quite satisfied with whatever you've got. There's always five feet more. Now, that's an extreme example, but I reckon there's almost any area of your life you can apply that thinking to. Whatever I have, there could be more. And when I get it, I'm slightly less satisfied than I thought I would be, and now I need the new one or the next one. Appetite before appreciation puts self on the throne and kicks God off. What about coarse joking? This is really an odd one. I'm wondering how it ends up in this list. But I think, as we see later, it's to do with speech not being used for what it should be used for. And we'll see what it is later. But coarse joking, how is it, how is it idolatry? I think it's putting popularity before people. See, why do I tell a terrible story? Why do I make a coarse joke? Either to put someone down to lift me up or to lift me up as the funny coarse guy, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Ladies, I don't know that this one touches you as much as it touches blokes, but it is a big one. And why is it that we want to seek our popularity while putting others down? It's idolatry. God not on the throne. There's a pretty terrible warning that comes. It's about entering into the kingdom of God. Have a look with me at verse 5. For of this you can be sure. When he says of this you can be sure, I think he means you can be sure that the sun will rise tomorrow. You can be sure that things you, fall, you throw into the air will fall to the ground. You can be sure that no impure, immoral or greedy person has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And, and let me be clear, it's not that you do these things once. It's that your settled state of heart is to do these things all the time. If your settled state of heart is to enthrone self in one of these various ways, the Bible is telling us today, you will not enter into the kingdom of God. That is a significant warning. And then it says in verse 7, don't be partners with them. There is an antidote, uh, you'll see, wonderfully. There's an antidote to all this idolatry. Uh, Has anyone taken malaria tablets before? They taste horrible. And the only reason you would ever keep taking them is because you really don't want what? Yeah, imagine that. So you keep on sucking down these terrible tasting things and you need to do it every day. You skip one and guess what happens? You're really open to that, uh, that terrible disease. So every day you've got to keep taking one. Well, here's, here's I think, the everyday antidote to this sort of idolatry. And uh, we see it in verse 4. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather what? Thanksgiving. Take a little tablet of thanksgiving every day. It'll save you from idolatry. How? Who do I give thanks to? Follow the logic. Who do we give thanks to? God. If you practice a settled habit of thanksgiving to God, you are going to be systematically kicking yourself off the throne or whatever else it is that you've lifted up. Because as soon as I look at it and I go, wow, this is really important to me, I thank you, God, for this wonderful gift. Who are we enthroning? The one who gave us the gift. Can you see this? And so it innately falls down. Daily thanksgiving is the antidote to idolatry. I think the trick with thanksgiving is to be specific. So if you're looking for one thing to take away today, to be 
truly exercising thanksgiving, it's not just to say, oh, I'm really thankful. I'm really thankful for, fill it in. It'll give power to your thanksgiving. Uh, there's a really cool thing. Uh, kids and I were watching um, a show a little while ago on um, bioluminescence. Things that glow. Living things that glow. So cool. Amazing. Uh, you go down deep into the sea, and as it gets darker and darker, you come across animals who you absolutely can't see, except that they generate their own light. They're bioluminescent. And I thought, that's a pretty cool trick. How does that work? Well, interestingly enough, they actually take on board bacteria that enables them to glow. And they have little spores, little pores, where these bacteria sit and grow and glow. The thing itself can't make light, generally, but they're a host for the light that comes in. Really helpful as we look at Ephesians 5, 8 to 14. Have a look at these words. For you were once darkness. This is you, people. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. They're beautiful things, aren't they? Goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. I really love this concept. And so the, the Bible's saying here, you have been made a light because light has come into you. You've been made a light because light came into you. You were darkness, but now you're light. You've been transformed from the inside out. The living God dwells in you by his Holy Spirit. He has made you light. So you are light, live light lives. Lots of L's there. What it's saying is, if you've been saved by God, if you've been transformed, then to go on living like you used to is utterly incompatible. You were darkness, now you are light. Live light lives. Be transformed from the inside out. There was something interesting there, though. Um, it talks in verse 11. It says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. There's a couple of ways that we can take this. We could say that the Christian's job is to expose injustice and evil in the world. And I think if we were to do that, we wouldn't be at odds with this passage. So have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Show them out that the darkness might not prevail. But there is another way, and as I was pondering it this week, it seems to fit in more with the line of the passage have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, might be a personal challenge, but rather expose them. So what do I need to do? Maybe I need to look in my life and find the deeds of darkness and expose them to God's light. Through a thing called confession, which is not tricky. It's really just coming before God and saying, you have shown me that this is incompatible with my life, the life you've called me to. And now I'm going to own it before you and I'm going to confess it. It wasn't, it wasn't hiding anyway. God could see in the dark. But I'm going to expose it to the light. I'm going to say, God, this is not appropriate. Please, Lord, shine your light on it. And more than that, have a look what will happen. It's actually tremendously exciting. Uh, 
verse verse 13 it says, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, so we'll see it for what it really is, see that it's idolatry, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Lord, take this broken part of me and make it right. Shine your light on this and make it right. Do your holy work here and make it right. Confess and under God find it to be transformed. Well, it's, uh, it's Father's Day, isn't it? So I, I should mention this. Uh, can anyone see what that is? I probably might not be able to see my picture very well. Can anyone guess what that is while I get my glass of water? Seafood what, though? It's not just a single portion, is it? Uh, what is it? Yeah, it's a seafood mess. I mean, it's a, it's a seafood banquet. I, I love Australians. I think this is kind of our native food. Uh, in inverted commas, uh, what it is, is it's, it's more food than any human can eat uh, in abundance. And what do we do when we have a plate for a buffet? What do we do, Australians? What we do is we take one and we just put four things on our plate very neatly and we go and sit down because we can see there's a mound of food there and it's going to be there forever, so there's no problem. So I'll eat my four things very carefully and then I'll go back and fill my plate up again. Is that, is that what we do? We pile our plates high. It's kind of, it's a staggering job to get our plates back to the, to the table because we're afraid, aren't we? We're like shoppers before a long weekend. We're not convinced that there'll be any left if we don't take it all now. And so we go on being filled. We go on being filled because we know the provision will never, will never run out. Uh, let's have a look at verses 15 to 20 and see how they apply. He says here, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So living wisely is part of the Christian life. Where to go on being filled, uh, that most important part of the passage here in verse 18. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Interesting that that follows wine. Don't get drunk. Don't treat the open bar as an exercise in excess. It won't be good for you. I was reading some stats the other day saying that uh, I think 80% of Australians have had a drink in the last year. Okay, that's, that's pretty reasonable. Uh, that, uh, what was it? Uh, 25% have a glass of something a day. And then it said that 11% of us, 12% of us, have had more than 11 standard drinks in a sitting in the last month. Why does that matter? Because the health organisations say that more than two drinks a day will actually have massively negative effects on your health. Is this God poo-pooing your enjoyment of alcohol? No. Might be saving your life. But it says here, don't be filled with wine. There's a much better option, like the buffet, one that will never run out, that's actually, well, good for you. It's, It's very good for you. And it says here, be filled, be filled with the Spirit. 
Go on being filled. You'll never empty him out. Invite him into your heart and keep on being filled by him. And then it says, uh, it says a bit earlier there in verse 16, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Every opportunity to do what? There's a lovely parallel passage in Colossians which reads like this and tells us what making the most of the opportunity might be. Pray for us too, Paul says, that God will open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. What are we supposed to do? If you're children of the light, you're to take the good news that we have and make the most of every opportunity. Speak graciously, humbly, beautifully. Speak of the good news that's found in Jesus. Make the most of every opportunity. That's the first one I wanted to point out. The second one I wanted to point out is it tells us to know God's will, to be wise. It says in verse uh, 16, uh, being sure that we know what the Lord's will is, verse 17. So what's God's will? Well, here's another point in another letter where Paul is writing about God's will. It says, God's will is that you should be sanctified, that's made holy, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. I think that's the, that's the thing at the end of the day. Why do it? Why do it? So that we don't take advantage of a brother or sister. So that we're living up to the holy life that God has for us. Wow. Uh, I've got a red battery indicator here, so that looks like being fun. We'll see how that goes. Um, one of the things that uh, dads like, or at least I like, so I'm going to extrapolate it into all dads here, uh, is listening to songs on the radio and singing loudly in the car on your own. No, good. Okay, just me. Uh, I love singing in the car on my own. Fantastic. Don't always know the lyrics, but that never stops me. Uh, always, always music somewhere in your head. Do you, do you know what an earworm is? You know when you get a song in your head and you can't stop singing it? Okay. What it's saying here is make your earworms, the, the, the song that gets in your head that you can't get out of your head, make it something beautiful and godly. Uh, have a look uh, at verse 19. What are we supposed to do with our tongues? Remember we said that, that coarse joking is not an appropriate use of our tongues. What's something that we can do? Have a look at verse 19. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. In other words, have what's put into your ears be something that's worth coming out of your mouth. And funnily enough, there's a high correlation, isn't there, between coarse joking, sexual immorality, and most music? No, church, you with me, not with me? It's pretty amazing, really. And so you put that in, guess what happens? Fill it up, it overflows. How does it overflow? It overflows in my words. So what it's saying here is speak to one another horizontally, speak to one another with hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs. I don't think that really means that you have to walk around. I've got Psalm 81 for you today, and that's all I've got. I would say pass me the sugar because I need it for my morning tea, but I can't. The only words I can say now are Psalm 81. Not what we're talking about, but let the beauty of God's words overflow in our conversation with one another. That's the horizontal. 
There's another type of speech that we need to get right to, and it's a vertical speech. Have a listen to this in verses 19 to 20. Speaking to one another with hymn, psalms, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. What should we be doing? Have a look at verse 20. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn your song, your heart song, towards the Lord in thanksgiving. And all I can say to you, I, I was sharing with our life group during the week, I remember the day my brother and I, when we, when we took out Christianity seriously in high school, first put a Christian tape uh, back in our tape machine, right? And we're both looking at each other going, what are we doing? What happened to Triple J? What, what is this music? And over time, here's the thing that happened. I actually started turning over things that mattered in my head. Beautiful things. Things that honoured God, that treated people better. And I got stuck in my heart and mind things that were worthy of God. We want to be speaking to God with thanksgiving. It was giving thanks, and we saw before it was thanksgiving. Our daily antidote to idolatry and to tidying up the use of our speech. So how can we please God? Let's see if we can pull all this together. How can we please God? Well, I think what's necessary, if we've heard this message this morning, it's necessary that we walk in the way of love, that we follow God's example. It's necessary that we take our daily tablet of thanksgiving. Lord Jesus, I am truly grateful for this beautiful day. I'm so thankful that it's not windy today. It was disastrous yesterday, wasn't it? I'm thankful for all the picnics that will be able to go on today with dads who can get outside. How good is that? I'm thankful for this beautiful family who've come and joined us today. We, we want to walk in God's way. We want to be thankful. We want to be people who go on being filled by the Holy Spirit. You'll never empty the buffet. Keep pressing into God. Say, God, I need to know more of you. Show me more of you. Shine your light through me. And lastly, I think we need to be better at the horizontal speech to one another and the vertical speech to our Heavenly Father as well. That's what we must do. What, what, what's impossible to keep doing is to go, I'm going to go on being tomorrow who I was yesterday and the day before and the day before that. We can't keep being who we were before if we're claiming to be children of the light. We've got to break out of it. We need to do something different to live in a way that's pleasing to God. And I was very excited to turn my Lego racing car man into a Lego fireman. That's the sort of transformation God's looking for. What's a possible application? Something that we might have to do in light of this message. Some of us sitting here today, myself included, might need to take a little bit of an inventory, a spiritual inventory, and go, okay, God, where, are, where on these things that were mentioned today do I need to start making a stop? And you might think to yourself, Lord, I know this isn't a great thing about me. Please change my heart. Please help me to turn away from this, that I might be welcomed into the eternal kingdom you've prepared for me. Why should we do all that? Well, let me finish with Paul's words. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are knowable, that we can approach you as children, know you as Father. 
Lord, I confess, we confess that we fall short of your standard. Lord, there are things that would make their way onto the throne of our hearts. And Father, I pray that we would cast them down. That you would help us. That you would change us from the inside out. That you'd renew us. That you would fill us. That your light might shine forth on us. Heavenly Father, we pray that we may be people who are filled with the Spirit, overflowing with thankfulness and different from who we are yesterday. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.